All right, my guest today is an author and sales trainer. His sixth book, which is a bestseller, by the way, is called Sell Different. And this is what really attracted me to Lee. If you've been selling for any length of time, you have firsthand knowledge and understanding how, how sales has changed over the years as customers just have access to more information. It, during our conversation, we talk about sales differentiation strategies to outsmart, outmaneuver, and outsell your competition. We covered the issue of discount requests from your customers, how to profile the right kind of customer. And my favorite, what do you do when your manager tells you to sell higher? Because we all do it. And also as a quick update on the podcast in general. So I'm really excited. We have moved to posting twice a week. I've had so many guests. I was doing a guest episode one week, a solo episode the next week, but I just have so many guests and, and people that are coming to me now to be on the show. So we are now doing a guest episode every Wednesday and a short solo episode on Fridays, and that's with me. So Fridays, uh, I'll just take one very specific topic. Sometimes I'll respond to a question or share a great idea that I've learned from my many conversations with guests, as well as my general sales network. So hope, hope you enjoy the change. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring successful tech sales professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to share best practices, insights, and lessons learned with other tech sales professionals. As a sales professional, the more we learn, the more we earn. Once we earn it, how can we put those hard-earned commission dollars back to work to build additional income streams that will create the freedom we are all working to achieve? I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. All right, Lee, hey, thanks again for being here. Um, why don't you just take a minute to provide some additional background about how you got started in the business of sales? Well, I didn't set out with an aspiration of to, to be in sales. I was in the fitness world. In college, I competed in in bodybuilding, and was also working in a in a gym while I was a full time student at SUNY Binghamton in upstate New York. And from there, my first job out of school, Chris, I was the executive director of a chain of health clubs. How's that for a first job? Isn't that pretty cool? Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And and here's how that happened. There was a, a member in that gym that I was working at while I was in college, and he came up to me. He was a banker. And he said, hey, we just gave a bunch of money to some muscle heads in, in upstate New York. They need your help. They've got these four health clubs up there. They don't know what they're doing. So that was my first job. Worked for them for a year, created all these systems and strategies and processes. Then I got recruited by Bally, the, at the time, the largest health club chain in the world to, to build for them. And here I was in my early 20s making, you ready for this, Chris? $50,000. <laughs> And I discovered I was at the top of the food chain in the fitness world at yeah. $50,000. You topped out. Boy, this is neat when you're 23. This ain't going to pay the bills long term. So I, I realized that fitness is a hobby, but I really like this sales thing. And that's what I really came to, to discover there. So I embarked on a journey. I left the fitness world and I went into the technology education space from there. Oh, fantastic. Well, I have to tell you, I've been so uh, looking forward to this discussion because in doing my research, I started to dig into 
a couple of your books and man, you have a wealth of information and a lot of, you know, what I, I picked up in your book, it's stuff that I've been thinking about, stuff that I've heard, stuff that hopefully I've been doing as a sales professional, maybe coaching as a sales leader, but I, I really like the way you think. So I just want to set the stage there. I think the audience is really going to get a ton out of this. So let's just jump into your book. So you've written two books on the subject of sales differentiation. You know, what, what, uh, what sparked your interest in that? Yeah, you're right. So back in uh, September of 2019, the book Sales Differentiation came out. And then in September of 21, Sell Different came out, both bestsellers. And I'll give you the context of what sparked my interest going way back. Remember the show Golden Girls? Oh, yeah. Right? So picture it. 1986, Marlboro, New Jersey. A high school junior needs a summer job. Me. And a family friend has this revolutionary business idea and calls his parents and says, does Lee want a job? And what this revolutionary business idea was, you ready? Yeah. Pickup and delivery dry cleaning. <laughs> okay. So our friend, his name was Dave. He didn't own a dry cleaning store. He said, you know, I think people find it to be a hardship to take their dirty clothes, bring it to the dry cleaners, and then come back and pick them up when they're clean. So his whole idea was around transportation. Now, remember, this is 1986. This is sure. today. Yeah. The Uber of dry cleaning. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So at that time, it wasn't universally offered. And I was hired as his driver and part-time sales guy. And I was really intrigued. Boy, would, would people be willing to pay more to have this service because he didn't own the store, right? So there was no discount. He couldn't say, by the way, if you use our transportation, we can knock, you know, 5% off. That wasn't there. It was a cost on top. So I wondered, would people be willing to pay more to have this service? What do you think? I would think yes. Nope. Oh. The answer was some people. Some people. Are you familiar with Marlboro, New Jersey? Um, yeah, I'm not, not very, I don't think so. I don't think I've ever been there. Okay. You probably know the town adjacent to it, Freehold, which is where Bruce Springsteen is from. Sure. It's central New Jersey. If you took a map north to south, east to west, and that point where the two intersect, that's Marlboro. And it's about 90 minutes to Manhattan, 90 minutes to Philadelphia. So people would commute still today. They commute into one of those two cities. And in 1986, People dressed for it. They didn't dress casually like, right. like you and I are today. So those people who had those lengthy commutes, dressed up for work, and didn't have someone at home that could help out with the dry cleaning transportation, thought the idea was brilliant. They wish they had thought of it themselves. But those who worked locally, didn't get dressed up for work, or had someone at home that could help take the clothes to and fro, thought we were nuts. Who would ever pay for something like that? So at a very young age, I learned a really important lesson. And this is something that I still work with clients to address today. And that's understanding who will perceive meaningful value in what you're selling. Not everyone's a prospect. If I would have spent that summer going after people who work locally, didn't get dressed for work, or had people at home that could help take the clothes to and fro, we wouldn't have sold a single deal. But with that clarity, by the end of the summer, there were four leads that were drivers and part-time salespeople. We knew who would perceive meaningful value. 
And one of the things salespeople always struggle with is the price issue. And one of the main reasons that price issue comes up, we're chasing the wrong deals. We're chasing people that don't perceive meaningful value in what we offer. Now, there are a lot of organizations that have an ideal client profile. You're familiar with that, right? Sure. Yeah. I think that's a huge mistake. Why is that? If you think of what an ideal client profile says to a salesperson, it says, if all the stars were to align, this is the kind of business we'd love to have. It's like a lottery ticket. So one in a gazillion chance that you're ever going to stumble across one of these. But what every organization should have is a target client profile. A target client profile says, this is who will perceive meaningful value in what we offer. Every sales minute, every business development minute should be spent in the pursuit of those opportunities. And a lot of times, organizations lack that clarity. Do you, do you think your audience likes free things? Absolutely. I love free things. Good. If you go to targetclientprofile.com, I know it's going to be hard to remember, targetclientprofile.com, I've got a worksheet you can download that helps you identify the different components that make for your target client profile. So, you know, I appreciate you going over that, Lee. So not, not every company is as organized around having that target client profile identified. So if you're a field seller, I mean, obviously they can go get your sheet. You know, but what are some quick steps that they can do to kind of self-assess, you know, as an individual field contributor, what your target client profile should look like or how to put that oh, together? And, and when you look at that tool, it's actually a wizard. A, a salesperson could do that on their own. If, if the company doesn't want to get involved, the management team doesn't want to put something like that together, which, by the way, I'm guessing would take less than an hour to do, to have that clarity. But, for example, what's the right size to pursue? Of course, salespeople, we get commissions. So what's the right size? The biggest of the big, right? (laughs) But who will perceive meaningful value in what you're selling? So there could be too big. There could be too small. Like the three bears, what's just right? Who will perceive meaningful value from a size perspective? That's an example. Yeah, it's interesting. So I've had this conversation with people sometimes when I'm hiring for different roles, uh, especially in the past where, you know, in a particular role, it, I, I found that it wasn't hard for reps to be really busy. They're out talking to clients, they're out talking to business partners, but maybe the performance isn't there. And sometimes it's a matter of, hey, you know, are you kind of letting the business drive you or are you driving the business? Are you talking to the right people, the right companies to ultimately move the needle? And sometimes, you know, they're excited because they had a bunch of calls, but you know, it's not necessarily generating the real pipeline that they need to crush their quota. So I think it's a great, great point. Oh, and, and you know, connecting with that, most of our audience are in the technology sales space. Well, if you think about the technology you're selling, the knee jerk is to say, well, I've got to go to the CIO or the CTO or the CSO. But who would really perceive the most meaningful value in what you're selling? While it's technology, is it really an operational solution, right? And if operations is going to perceive the most meaningful value, don't I I want to pursue them first, get them fired up, and use them to sponsor me to others in the organization, as opposed to starting an IT just because, well, they're IT, this is IT, that's who I should talk with. Yeah. Well, you uh, in your book, you talk about the decision influencer. And 
I, I remember early in my career, I took one of the one of the sales trainings. I don't know. There was something about identifying the fox. I can't remember which which program that was. But you know, I think back to the most successful deals that I personally um, led, or the biggest deals that my team has uh, maybe led. You know, there is always that influence, or maybe they're not the economic buyer, but they're the one that says, "Okay, I've listened to your stories. I've listened to your examples." In their head, they know their business way better than you do as a sales rep, and they start connecting the dots, and then they start telling you stories back around how you can help, and it's really helping that person kind of be successful, get excited, and really maneuver within the organization. It's just it's beautiful to watch when you can execute on it. Absolutely, you know, you mentioned sales training. I've taken just about every sales training out there that you <laughs> could bet. name. You know, you know what the best one is I've ever taken? Uh, Lee's. Nope. Nope. I give up. You give a procurement training. Oh. Salespeople don't know this. Just like they go for sales training, purchasing agents, they go through training. They can become certified in the procurement space. And one of the misconceptions that we have, if we think of purchasing, we think of procurement, what's the one word we think? What do they care about? Price. Price. That is incorrect. That is incorrect. I had an opportunity many years ago to participate in procurement training. What they are taught to do is to evaluate a supplier's quality management system. Now, their job, let's be very clear, is to try to commoditize what you're selling. And if you make it easy for them, you're going to fall into the trap. And the only thing left to talk about is price. But they have internal clients. Their job is not to buy cheap. Their job, which is no different than anyone else on the planet when they're buying, is to find the right solution for the circumstance at the best price they can get it for. It's not standalone by cheap. It's when everything appears to be the same, none of us would make a different decision. We would buy the lowest price for same. We wouldn't pay one penny more for it. And I'll tell you, if you ever get the opportunity to, to go to procurement training, or and what I ultimately did from that, back when I ran sales organizations, after I went to that, I contracted with that procurement trainer and I brought him into a couple of my sales meetings. Yeah, I imagine that was fascinating. It is. I mean, the, the perception that salespeople have versus what reality is of what they're being taught is apples and oranges. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Well, we're shifting gears a little bit. So, you know, offline, we were talking a little bit about coaching and professional sports. And and uh, you mentioned being, uh, you mentioned your uh, your weightlifting career or throughout college. And I saw that you were a, a, a state bench champ, a bench press champion. I don't know, maybe back in the day, are you still doing that? Absolutely. I'm training right now. I'm competing for the state tournament again on February 11th. No kidding. Do they have, if you don't mind me asking, do they have age brackets for that? Or how does that work? There's age brackets, weight brackets. Um, and there's something called the Wilkes factor, which is what normalizes all the lifters. It's the only sport I've ever seen that when you're competing in it, you don't know how you're doing against the other competitors. Because this factor multiplies against your age, your weight, and how much you're lifting. And then ultimately, you get a score. And you can't do that math in your head. Oh, it's like a handicap for weightlifting. Fascinating. Okay. So, yeah, so in other words, if I'm two pounds heavier and you bench one pound less than me, who wins? I, I would what win. This does. Yeah. Well, that's, so what, then, that's what this does. It normalizes it. So like boxing, right? So lose a bunch of weight right before you go in for your, uh, your yes. weigh-in. All right. Yep. 
I hope you are enjoying this episode. I wanted to break in with a quick commercial. During the podcast, we sometimes talk about how to invest those hard-earned commission dollars so that you can build that freedom we are all working towards achieving. Now, I built that through 20 years of real estate investing. Now, recently, my team helped me put together a webinar on how top sales pros can create passive income and achieve financial freedom with hands-off real estate investing. Now, I'm still doing this. And as I continue to invest, I'm giving opportunity for others to learn and invest alongside of me. So if you want to learn more, go check out our webinar at hightechfreedom.com forward slash webinar. That is hightechfreedom.com forward slash webinar. We will also put the link in the show notes. Speaking of athletes, um, you had uh, you know you'd shared a story about your son and his college baseball recruiting experience. Um, you know, is there a story or maybe a takeaway message for salespeople that, uh, that you might that you could share? Sure, and and I share this story in in chapter one of of Sell Different. So my son Stephen, when he was a junior in high school, had aspirations of playing college baseball. And during his junior year, my wife, Sean, and I kept saying, hey, you got to set up the college visits. You got to set up the college visits. And he was a little <laughs> slow in doing so. Yeah. Come to find a lot of kids are a little slow in setting up college tours. And during the summer between his junior and senior year, he was asked to play on our city's American Legion baseball team. And if you're not familiar with American Legion, this is where all the college scouts coming come looking for top talent. And during a one-week tournament, he hit four home runs and three doubles. We weren't asking him to set up college visits anymore. The colleges were coming to us. Now, if you've ever been through a college recruiting experience before, you know it's a sale. Right. These coaches are trying to sell you on their institution, but they can't differentiate what they're selling. They can't add a major. They can't build a dorm. They can't move the campus. All they have are fixed assets. The opportunity that they all have is to differentiate the way that they sell. And some of these coaches were absolutely fantastic at it, and some failed miserably. So, you know, when you first go to visit a college, as soon as you cross the border onto the campus, your blood pressure jumps about 30 points. You know why that is? It's not the tuition. <laughs> what is it? You can't find a place to park. Oh, totally. Yeah. Right. Every parking lot on a college campus says, park here, and we're going to tow you, but welcome to our fine institution. Well, this one school we visited, we pull into the parking lot, and there's a spot with Stephen's name on it. Stop oh. us dead in our tracks. Yeah. We go inside. There's an agenda for the day. Stephen's name printed right at the top. What did it cost that university to do those two things? A penny? Nothing. Maybe for the paper and the ink? But think about what they did. They made us feel like Stephen was the only athlete they were recruiting anywhere on the planet for any sport they offered. Mm. Of course, that wasn't the case, but that's how they made us feel. See, what we forget to do in sales is to make people feel special. It's just another call. It's just another meeting. It's just another presentation. It's just another proposal. See, on any given day, you may talk with, what, 10, 20, 30 different prospects and clients. But how many conversations did each of them have with your organization that day? Just one, mm -hmm. just one. And it doesn't matter what you're selling. 
You have an opportunity to make people feel special in the way that you interact with them. We talked about price. Think about those who you like doing business with. Is it because of the price or how you feel when you do business with them? Yeah, God, that that really hits home for me because uh, even like when I'm doing this podcast, right? It's I, you know, I think about the guest and um, you know sometimes I get busy and you know there's there's been a few times where I've just rolled right into it, but you know I'm always trying to think about okay how can I make I do a bunch of these and you know it's a little bit of a routine for me, but it the person or the guest I mean you you're a pro you've done lots of these, but sometimes it's the first time a person has done a podcast. And so how do I make them feel special and how do I really highlight them and, you know, make it an experience for them? So, yeah, I totally, totally agree, uh, you know, agree with that. Um, so what- you heard you heard barking in the background. That was Kona. And because <laughs> she wants to be a part of the show. Can I tell you a Kona story? Sure, you bet. OK, she was a COVID puppy. Like many people, oh, we, yeah. we adopted Kona uh, or I should say bought Kona from uh, from a breeder. And now she's a little over two years old. And she's the sweetest little thing. I wake up every morning. She gets on top of my pillow, reaches down, starts kissing my nose. There is no better way to wake up in the morning. Great way to start. Great alarm clock. Yes. But she does have an idiosyncrasy. Whenever someone walks by, particularly if they're walking a dog, she'll go running into the dining room. And that's what you heard a moment ago. And she starts running laps around the dining room table. (laughs) <laughs> and we have these three big windows in the dining room with wood blinds on them. At least I did have three sets of wood blinds. Because what she would do is she goes running at the window because she wants to go play with a friend. So she's sure. charging at the window. Well, this one day we didn't open one of the sets of blinds to Kona's satisfaction. So somebody walked by with a dog and she started clawing at it. And so now in my dining room, we have a set of blinds, a set of blinds, and a sheet covering <laughs> the third window. Oh, look, I have a, I have had multiple dogs. And the first dog that the, the kids talked me into, I called it the $10,000 dog just because of the damage, the number of times we've had to go to the vet, the things it digested. I think I was low on the $10,000. I think it ended up costing more than that with all the emergency vet bills and the damaged furniture and the moldings and, and whatever. But, you know, we love them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know how long ago that, that happened? No. Eight months. So you've had this sheet. I'm sure the neighbor's like, what is that guy doing? Eight months it's been hanging there. And not a week goes by that my wife, Sharon, and I don't say, boy, we got to go get new window coverings. <laughs> we have not gone online. We have not gone to a store. Do you know why? Not available. It's COVID. Nobody's coming to visit. Yeah. But I'll tell you this. If my in-laws are coming to town, I guarantee you there will not be a sheet covering that window. Yeah, the house will be clean and ready to go. Absolutely. So why am I sharing this story? We've been told in sales during discovery, we need to probe for pain. We got to find the pain. And then we find it. And we're start salivating. Oh, this is going to be a good deal. It's going to be a fat commission check. And then we get that text that says, thank you for the conversation. We've decided to stay with our current provider. Now, how could that happen? I found pain, but I didn't get the deal. Because we didn't take the conversation to the level to understand if the pain we heard was an inconvenience or a problem. An inconvenience or a problem. At this moment in time, my window is an inconvenience. I don't even walk through the dining room. It's not the main traffic pattern of the house. But in-laws coming to town, this will go from an inconvenience to a problem 
And now I'm going to be ready to invest time, resources, and dollars to address it. And so that's a common mistake I see with sales is we ask what I call horizontal questions, these surface level questions that give us a data point, a piece of information. We uncover pain, and then we move on to the next surface level question. What needs to happen is we need to set up camp right there and ask vertical questions. These deep questions that help us get a comprehensive picture, a complete picture of that piece of data that we've just acquired. Yeah, that is uh, that is such a great point because, you know, look, salespeople, sometimes we're, you know, we we move fast, we think fast and we want to get the information, get it in the sales force, get it in the, you know, we created pipeline and, you know, go tell the manager that we've got an opportunity, we found the pain, uh, we've got a solution. Um, but you know, I've talk been about that word, you, you just said solution. Solutions don't go with inconveniences. They correlate with problems. Right. <laughs> so until we understand if it's an inconvenience or, or a problem, we can't have a conversation about a solution because we may not have a solution. There's no solution to an inconvenience. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And, you know, I, I've, I've been on some calls with some really great reps where they've done that. They stopped and they said, OK, well, so tell me, you know, who when that when that happens, who's calling you? And, you know, who's the one that's running around with their hair on fire? And, you know, what, what's, uh, you know, what's the impact of that business, that application? They start really digging down into the people, problems, the business issues, the financial pieces of it. And they do walk away with that. You know, and it's funny because as salespeople, we spend all this time trying to prepare on what we want to say. But sometimes you got to pivot, you know, and if you find that, you've got to just stop, forget everything you wanted to say, listen, and just absorb, ask those questions, grab that information. And that's. That's, if you get a problem, now you've got a real opportunity. Absolutely. So let me take it a step further. Who knows more about the world of potential solutions in your industry? You or the people you sell to? Not once have I had a single salesperson say to me, oh, the people I sell to know much more about the world of potential solutions in my industry. It's never happened. And not in any industry, not any country around the world with salespeople I've spoken with. What that tells us is, we can't just rely on their perceptions. So, so often we'll have a discovery meeting and they'll talk about some issue and they see it as an inconvenience. We know it's a problem because we have a greater expertise in this arena than they do. So what do we do? Try to force it. Too many salespeople, they get stuck. You know, we, we talked a few moments ago about my, uh, my powerlifting background. So, about five years ago, New Year's Eve day, I'm training in the gym for the state tournament, having a great workout. And all of a sudden, in the middle of my workout, I completely ruptured my left triceps. Oh, no. I'm not a doctor, but I knew exactly what I had done. It was like a giant rubber band just snapped in my arm. So I drive myself to the ER, and it's New Year's Eve day, so there's not a lot of people working there. Um, so all I could get done was an x-ray, which doesn't show that. And they put me in a sling and sent me on my way. So that's December 31st on the first can't get anything done. It's a holiday on the second. I got on a plane to deliver a three day sales differentiation program for a client. Still hadn't seen a, a real doctor for any of this while I was there, my entire left arm turned purple. I mean, from my shoulder to my fingertips, it was wild. And what's interesting is while it discolored, 
my arm wasn't painful. It was it was painful the first moment that that I did it, maybe for five minutes. But after that, it really wasn't painful at all. So conducted that program. My arm turned purple, and I fly back. And I'm thinking as I'm flying back, well, I'm probably going to need surgery. So let's see. Got a bunch of keynote talks. I got a lot of consulting work going on. So it's probably look end of February to, to do that. So come back. I have the MRI. Go see the doctor. He comes in. He says, well, let me tell you what you did. And I said, I know what I did. I ruptured my triceps. He goes, how'd you know that? I said, because I don't need to be a doctor to figure out that, that sensation. <laughs> He's like, yep, so um, we need to schedule you for surgery. And I said, yeah, I was thinking that too. So I'm looking uh, end of February. How does that work for you? He says, I'll see you on Monday. I'm like, what Monday? This coming Monday. I said, yeah, that doesn't work for me. I've got all this stuff going on. He goes, Lee, here's what you don't understand. Your tricep is sitting up here right yeah. now, like a window shade. It's snapped all the way up there. And we have a small window of time to pull it back down and reattach it at the elbow. Would you like to use your arm again? <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> then yeah. I will see you on Monday. So it comes back to what I was saying a moment ago, that sometimes because of our, our expertise, like this doctor, he knew information that I didn't. And when I shared that information, all of a sudden, a different decision was made. Now, when we're selling a little different than in a doctor environment. No one wants to be lectured. What we need to do is ask questions, lead them down the path so they see exactly what we see. Yeah, so that was, I, I was going to ask the question and you answered it really well, which was how do you help the customer go from that? It's just an inconvenience to realizing it's a problem. Yeah, and I, we've I got to ask some questions. Yep. It, yeah, I had a role many years ago where um, I was selling a product to uh, a customer set where there was an incumbent that owned like 80% of the market share in this particular product. And, but this product had deficiencies, it had weaknesses, it had lots of operational pain, but customers had just accepted it. That was, that was just how life was and they didn't realize life could be different. So I had to go through a process of getting them to over casually having a lunch or a coffee, start to open up about that. And then, you know, I could come back around and then when I showed them how we did it, they're like, oh my God, now I've got some stories and some things to connect to. But if I just told them that, hey, their stuff's crap and you need to buy our stuff and here's why we're better, they would have shut down and never have listened. Um, Absolutely. Let me, let me give you another uh, dissection of this pain. Sometimes we would love to meet with the, the head person, but we're meeting with a mid-level manager. So I have this client that sells call center technology. So a lot of times they meet with call center managers and they can give chapter and verse of the issues. Definitely they see the pain as problems, but on their own, they can't do anything about it. They need executive support to spend the money. And what is so often missed is understanding the executive perception of these issues. So there's a question we need to be asking that mid-level manager, which sounds like this. I appreciate you sharing with me your, your concerns. I can certainly understand why these problems are frustrating to you. Just curious, how does your executive team see these issues? Do you know what the most common answer we get? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't talked with them. <laughs> so don't bother putting it on your forecast report. Yeah, this right. deal's going nowhere at this moment. So there's some coaching conversation that needs to take place with that mid-level manager to have that right conversation with the executive team. 
Because if you go to the executive team and say, you know, boy, people have these wait times. They're having to wait seven minutes. That's just really a long time. And, and, and people don't like that. You're not getting the dollars from the executive team with that positioning. Talk about the financial impact that making a change in how you're handling that call center would have on the organization. That's how you get the purse strings to loosen up and help them to recognize that this isn't an inconvenience. This is a problem that needs to be dealt with right now. Yeah. I wrote that down. And just as a reminder, I'm going to, I'm going to check in on that today with some of my team members. It's a, it's great feedback. Yeah, when you, when you ask them if they're, if they've been working with a mid-level manager, See, I know you've been talking with Phil Jones for a while, and, and clearly you, you've heard issues and you, you've documented them well. How does the executive team in that organization see these issues? Do they see it as inconveniences or problems? And if they say, I don't know, well, then that's a conversation you need to have with the mid-level manager. If the mid-level manager says, I don't know, then there's coaching for the mid-level manager to have to, uh, to have that right conversation with the executive team. If the mid-level manager says, you know what, that's been one of my challenges, they see it as an inconvenience, while I clearly see that this is something we've got to do something about right now. Again, there's some coaching that you can do where if the mid-level manager is passionate that you offer something that could be helpful, then they could sponsor you and bring you to the executive team to help them see the light. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great feedback. Well, Lee, as we uh, as we start to get close to wrapping it up here, um, you had shared a stat uh, that something around that ninety nine percent of of salespeople aren't following up with a a meeting recap. That seems a little bit high. I'm just curious. You know, one, how did you get that stat? And two, uh, well, let's just start with that. How did you get that stat? Well, the number is a 99%. It's 99.999%. And I'm being <laughs> ultra conservative with that. There's an opportunity that salespeople miss out on. And that's sending a recap email after a discovery meeting. There's a famous German researcher. His name is Hermann Ebbinghaus. Are you familiar with him? Uh, no. Okay. He created back in the late 1800s, it's called the forgetting curve. You can look it up. And what he discovered is that people forget 50% of what they learn within 24 hours and remember less than 10% a week later. So that means if you had a one-hour discovery meeting, they remember about five minutes of it a week later. Mm -hmm. Now, that's just a data point. We can do something about it, and that's with the recap email. The recap email is sent the same day as the discovery meeting, and it has five components your objectives, what it is they said they're looking to accomplish and why. And you want to use their language, their emotions in describing that back to them, how we can help. So relative to what they're looking to accomplish, you position the fit for your organization and the solutions that you offer. My action items, what I said I'm going to do, your action items, what you said you're going to do and what we agreed to do next. I'm being conservative with that number. I am yet to find any salesperson who as a discipline, every time they have a discovery meeting, sends an email like that. Now, if yeah. you do that, some wonderful things happen. Number one, you show genuine interest in the account. There's no CRM on the planet that can write that for you. It's manual. You have to do it. They know you invested the time to put that together. Number two, you keep your deal on track. How does it do that? Well, 
How many times have you had a meeting with someone and they said, that's right, I'm going to get you this information, that information, I'm going to talk to Phil. Then you have that next meeting, they go, that's right, I was supposed to get that information together and I was supposed to talk to Phil. Well, we reduce the likelihood of them forgetting if you put it in writing. We know most often multiple people are involved in the decision-making process. Well, we met with one. We write this in such a way that it can be shared with others and they can get just as excited as the individual that you met with about the opportunity that you're offering. And there's a chapter in my book, Sell Different, that lays out step-by-step how to put that strategy in place. Yeah, I love you. You kind of have that towards the end of the book. So it's sort of a nice recap of, all right, I've gone really kind of through the process of selling all the way towards the end. And it's a natural place to put that recap. You know, one of the things that I've always liked to do with my recap was, you know, I throw in there, you know, keep me honest, did I miss anything? And um, that's the last sentence. Yeah. And the, the number of times I get a response, because you know, we're as salespeople, we're so used to now sending emails and getting nothing crickets. But when you do that, sometimes it's just, yep, you nailed it. But sometimes they come back and go, I actually, you kind of, you know, you got that a little bit off. And guess what? That is so valuable. Absolutely. You're getting that engagement. Absolutely. I agree. And the goal, imagine someone's reading this. We want them going, yep, yep. That's what I said. Yep. That's exactly right. That's exactly how I'm feeling. That's perfect. That's what we're looking for. Want that head nod. Yeah. And by the way, I sometimes, you know, it's, it's such a great thing to have to, to also then recap the opening of the next meeting. Because by the way, while you've been thinking about it all week for that sales call, that customer, they came from four of their meetings that day. And Amen. it takes them some time to transition into and catch up with you. So, yep, absolutely. And again, if you come back to that forgetting curve, even without those things going on, they're still going to remember about five minutes of your meeting a week later. You put this recap email in place, all of a sudden the recollection is going to go up and they have a reference tool to go back to. Absolutely. Well, Lee, I really appreciate your time today, man. I We could probably talk for hours and just selfishly, I, you know, I, I clearly um, can learn from you. And um, so I, you know, I, I look forward. I know you're working on your next book. I look forward to having you back on um, hopefully sooner than than it comes out. But definitely, you're always welcome. And you know, I do want to just call out. So Lee's book is called Sell Different. It's available on, you know, you can buy a hard cut. You can buy a physical you copy. You mean this, Chris? This one right here? There it is. Sell different. And uh, we'll put a link in the uh, show notes to uh, to Amazon just to make it easy. You can get a Kindle Thank version. The, the other thing that I want to call out is that when you buy the book, he, Lee has an offer that if you buy the book, go to selldifferentbook.com. Then you can sign up for uh, what he calls a sales differentiation minute volume two video series. Basically, it's a, you'll get a video clip each week. What, over a year? Is that right? Yeah, over every week for a year, yes. Yeah, so so definitely check it out. And look, the, if you're listening to this podcast, you're already taking the time to learn, so I'm not worried about you. But, um, you know, it's it's if you're not learning and you're not growing, you're probably going the wrong direction. So you're you're probably going to read stuff in his book or any other book that you've heard before. But sometimes you come to that realization that, oh, yeah, I haven't been doing it. Um, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot about that good habit. And that's a lot of what we do in sales is just kind of reminding ourselves that there's some basics. But when you do those basics really, really well, consistently, programmatically, man, good things happen. And the job gets easier. Um, Absolutely. The other thing I want to call out is for my sales leader listeners, um, Lee offers some consulting workshops. I was checking out some of his uh, 
speeches on YouTube and just a very dynamic speaker. So check him out. You can go to his website at uh, www.salesarchitects.com or uh, call him. And his number is 763-416-4321. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. Thank you, Chris. So Lee, uh, really enjoyed it. Thank you again. Thank you. It was great fun. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever.